we're, uh, we are that generation. We have been called out to go in. Amen. We're so happy that the Lord has called us out. And just want to greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just uh, want to say that we've really enjoyed the word on Sunday. And uh, just felt the Holy Spirit ministering to the bride of Christ. And we're feasting on it even today. Amen. And we're looking forward to tonight. Brother Tim Dodd will be ministering this evening. And uh, I pray that God will just bless you richly. Amen. Do you know that song? It's manifesting time. The fruits are on the vine. And the lovely one is coming in plain view. Key of E flat, I believe. Start with verse 1. The voice of my beloved, behold, he quickly comes, sweeping over the mountains, over the hills he runs. I long to hear his voice, I long to hear him say, Arise, my love, my fear. The fruits are on the vine and the lovely one is coming in plain view. Oh, kept God's chosen bride, redemption draws his night. He's that lovely one, he's coming in plain view. The grapes are yours and mine, little boxes spoil the vine.
sweet smells coming through. He's that lovely one. He's coming to play you. Oh, it's manifesting time. The fruits are on the vine. tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. What a day that he's come in plain view. Thank the name of the Lord. Oh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into. And they
Every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Oh, Stand together in Jesus' name. We press on in Jesus' name. We press Jesus is on our side. Amen. He's the general. And we're part of his army. We're the family of God. Oh my, and with the Lord Jesus on our side, we'll crest every wave. Amen, amen, amen. He's got it all in control. Praise the name of the Lord. We have a prayer request tonight from our brother, Sir Droy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Brother Serge Roy is requesting prayer for his daughter Catherine and her husband Alistair. Uh, they're just facing a family situation. Brother George, or Brother Serge rather, is praying that the Lord would use this to speak to them and reveal Himself to them in this time. And we just want to remember our brother's family, stand together with him. Amen. And. Uh, different needs amongst us and we just want to continue to remember him and brother Tom would I be able to ask you to come and take us in prayer amen
Amen. So wonderful to see us all tonight gathered around this glorious opening of the Word of God. And if you have a need tonight, why don't you just lift up your hearts to Him and say, Lord, would you come and meet my need and the burden of my soul? Our dear, precious Heavenly Father, as we have put aside this time this Wednesday evening to hear the Word of God unfold before us, And Lord, Brother Tim will come and take that blessed word, but it will take the Lamb himself to inspire a Son of God to minister the words of life to each and every one. And Lord, as that word goes forth and it comes to heal the people, Lord, various ones have their arms, their hands raised, their hearts lifted to heaven. Brother Serge is praying for his family. Lord, the Charman family are praying for Sister Bev that you would do a marvelous work within her own life. Many needs amongst the assembly, Lord, and we just pray that you will meet everyone in their own special way. We need a touch from the Master. We need the Pula Bethesda experience. Lord, we're, uh, so, so many souls were looking for the troubling of the water. Trouble the water tonight, Lord, but come by our way. Come and speak to us individually. And let us, let us all rise out of our bed of circumstance. And may the hand of God lift us up into the heavenly places, into the promises of God that are yea and amen. Bless your children around the world, Lord. All those will that will join with us tonight as Brother Tim will minister, I pray God a special portion will unfold to each and every one of us, Lord. May we go home with our baskets full of manna, full of the word, that we can glorify you, the King of glory. So, Lord, we commit the evening to you and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come to my soul, precious Jesus, my Lord. Just before we sit down, maybe we can just sing this together. Oh, come to my soul, precious Jesus, my Lord. Hear me. Savior divine, open the fountain and cleanse me, Lord, give me a heart like thine, oh, one more time, come to my soul. Precious Jesus, my Lord, hear me, O Savior divine. Open the fountain and cleanse me, Lord, give me a
maybe have, may have your seats and just thank you all for participating. The way you do, it just makes a big difference. We appreciate it so much. <clears throat> maybe we can sing a couple more courses before Brother Tim comes and faithful ones so unchanging. Faithful one so unchanging, ageless one, hear my rock of peace, Lord of all, I depend on you, I call out to This evening, we're so thankful for it. Amen. It holds. It holds. Praise the Lord. We're going to ask our brother Tim to come. Maybe we can sing, fill my cup, Lord, as he comes. We just desire to have our cups filled up. We're going to lift them up. And we're believing that the Holy Spirit is going to fill it up with what we have need of. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. That's our desire this evening, as we have come together around the Word of God, that He would fill our cups. Amen. Everybody got a cup ready to be filled this evening? Amen. That's the reason that we're here. If you're standing, you can have your seats, and and we'll just uh, uh, have... I just thought that I would bring you just a little bit of a greeting to uh, from the mission field this evening, and... Uh, Excuse me while I pull this up again. It seemed to blank out on me for a moment, the marvels of electronics. But I greet you all in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, nice to see you on the screen. Thank you for opening up your homes and, and uh, uh, showing your faces. And, uh, and that encourages the preacher. And, uh, you know, God has done amazing things. Thank you. Actually, I think that's all the singing we will do. We'll go right to the Word afterwards. Um, and that, uh, you know, the Lord has done amazing things in the country of Uganda. And I want to just bring you just a brief update from the country of Uganda uh, this evening. Uh, despite the government restrictions that are there, and they're still under curfew in the country, but God has reached out. The Holy Spirit has moved in unusual places. You heard how he moved amongst 
the Baptist or the Pentecostal people, then the Baptist people, and then the Methodist people. Well, now it's the Seventh Day Adventist people. It's an amazing thing that's that's happening in that country. And you know, Brother Branham said it's it's not the people; it's the system. And it's the system that keeps the people bound, but the people are hungry for the Word of God. And so, uh, Brother Fred Gingy was telling me that there was a, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor who had embraced the message and uh, wanted Brother Fred to come and to introduce the message to his church. And so, uh, this last week, uh, Brother Fred was there to minister to them. And his report is thus, he says, he says, thank you for your prayers. As I informed you yesterday about the mission to the Adventist church, the Lord is good. We successfully held a meeting with the whole church and they received the word wholeheartedly and almost, and almost the whole church believed the message. And, uh, I said wholeheartedly, I assume that's what he meant because they actually spelt wholeheatedly. And I think that's a good way to say it too. <laughs> they received the message wholeheartedly is what he wrote, but I think he meant wholeheartedly. And uh, he says, because they had many questions as they were so eager to understand and we didn't want to leave any question unanswered, we took the time going through the scriptures. We actually failed to take them for baptism because we were caught up with the curfew, and we promised with them that we shall arrange again and go back for baptism. In all, we really thank God for the harvest, he says. And so we praise God too. We're very thankful for what's going on there, and we're very much supporting what's going on in Uganda. There's 10,000 exposition, or not exposition, revelation of the seven seals books that are on their way to Uganda, having been printed in China. And uh, we're just working out uh, our budgets for the year, our projections for the year of how many books we'll be able to print every month of the individual books right in the country and, and all of that. So you pray for us and pray for the brethren that are working there. Uh, during this past year, there was a brother that came, uh, a believer, a pastor that came into the message. And Brother Fred tells me that now everywhere he goes, this brother insists on coming to help introduce the message. And so he sent me a little bit of a video clip of him. And so I have a little bit of a video clip while he's uh, speaking at the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, about what the message has done in his life and in his ministry. And so why don't you play that video now? Praise the Lord. I want to thank God for this place. This is a place called Bulima. That's where the church is. And I'm the pastor. But you're just a God friend. I want to thank God for this place. Since we got this place, the Lord has been doing quite a lot. Well, it matters you say it. And the people are seeing it. And many people have come because of the place. Uh, we used to be 30 people 
but about more than 10 have joined the church. We want to thank God for the brethren who have given us this place. And we, thank, we believe God is pushing the work further. And we pray that the Lord blesses you and we are praying for you. And we trust that even what is remaining as challenges will be met of God. We pray that God blesses you and also keep us safe for the people to believe so that we can together be in the kingdom. God bless you. Well, that was indeed a wonderful video, not the one I intended, but that was a wonderful video. And that was a video of one of the Methodist pastors appreciating uh, that the support that he had to receive uh, a, uh, a shelter for his uh, congregation. And we just recently completed six uh, shelters for six congregations there in Uganda. And you can read about that on the website. There is an article we just posted on the website and you can read about that there. And it's just wonderful. And they assure me that they're going to get this other, uh, video just up very quickly, uh, that I sent them today. And, uh, I'm sure that, uh, if they have that there, uh, you know, it's unusual what God has done in the country of Uganda. And uh, the reason I wanted to show you this video is because it is very uh, indicative of someone that has caught fire. And you'll hear the, the pastor, he actually calls himself a bishop, because he says he's the bishop of 95 churches, Brother Tom. 95 churches that he has begun in many countries and uh, and and he wants to just sh- I want him to just share in his own words just briefly uh, what the light of the message has done for him. Yeah, that's the one right there. If you put that one on for me. In Africa, Africa, in Africa, Africa, I'm a bishop of over ninety. Five churches. Yeah. In this country, in South Africa, South Africa, in Mozambique, in Mozambique, Botswana, Botswana Malawi, Malawi, Zambia, Zambia, Kenya, Kenya, Rwanda, Rwanda, Burundi, Burundi Congo, Congo, Uganda, Uganda, Uganda South Sudan, and even in UK, every UK, I planted three churches. But I've been baptizing people. by my son to pastor and they explained it to me what is the meaning of the father, son and the Holy Spirit I didn't know that they all mean one thing Jesus Christ so now I have great boldness in my life 
Amen. That's called on fire with what God has done for them. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? And seeing what God can move. And sometimes, you know, we think someone's so steeped in denominationalism and someone's gone so far. All it takes is the Holy Spirit to come by their way and it totally changes their, we could say their paradigm. It changes their outlook. It changes their experience. And here's a man that's humble enough to say, now I need to go back and rebaptize all the people I baptized wrong. Now that's a revelation. And that's a man that's willing to humble himself. Amen. So it just gives you an idea when we say thousands of souls are coming in. Here's one man with influence over 95 churches. And, and so just under that man alone, there might be four or 5,000 people. That, that are going to hear the message of the hour. I say praise be to God. God knows what He's doing. You know, sometimes we think, oh, we're not able to travel and I, I'd like to get here and I'd like to get there. And believe me, uh, the invitations are piling up and the requests are piling up. But yet in the midst of all that, we have to say, Lord, you know what you're doing. You're in control and He's going to work everything out according to His perfect plan. He knew the travel regulations would be what they are right now. He knew this would happen. He knew we would be faced with this. But God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. Well, we're going to take our Bibles and turn together. If you have yours with you, we'll turn to the book of Haggai tonight. Haggai, Haggai. Uh, and uh, Haggai chapter 2. Haggai is the third last book of the Old Testament. If you have trouble finding it, like me, it's a very small book, just two chapters, and uh, and it's on page 814 for those that have the same Bible as me. <laughs> Amen. I see everybody turning to their Bibles. Well, let's just, while you're turning or after you've turned to, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer as we ask God's blessing on the Word tonight. Wonderful Heavenly Father. Lord was talking to a uh, minister, as you know, the other day, who said, "We seemed, it seems to be that people are not as hungry for the Word as much as they used to be, oh God. But Lord, I could tell him, there's people in Uganda, there's people in Ethiopia, there's people in Angola, there's people in these countries where your spirit is moving in great ways. Lord, when they get a book, they devour that book. They're desirous, Lord, of these words of eternal life. And we want to confess tonight, Father, that we also are desirous of the words of eternal life. Your words are spirit and life. Lord, take the word tonight and, and no matter what, how little the gift is in the pulpit, you can do much with little, Lord. You can take your word and you could turn it to love who those who mean, need love. You can turn it to peace for those who need peace. You could turn it to deliverance for those that need deliverance. You can turn it to strength, a strong tower, which your name is, and we sang about it, O oh God, that we might run into it tonight. So please, Father, 
Father, won't you just come in every gathering tonight? And I pray that you'll make yourself known through the ministry of the Word. Just one word from you will change a life. I'm always reminded of the testimony of our pastor. How he sat on the log. And just a word from a prophet, O oh God. An anointed word for the hour. He said his life was changed from that moment forward. Lord, we just invite you. Come sit on the log with us tonight. Come minister to us, we pray. As it were, we just commit ourselves to you. Anoint the speaker and the hearer. And the words as we read them, anoint them afresh. You anointed them through your prophets in days of old. And re-anoint them in this hour, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. All right, now I want you to notice what he's saying here. He says, If you which are holy as a priest, a sanctified priest, anointed with oil, if you take something that is holy and you touch something else, will it be holy? And the answer is no, it won't be. But then he goes on, he says, Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. So is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So I want you to notice the influence of the clean and the influence of the unclean. Now I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you don't mind remaining standing in honor of the Word. We'll go to Matthew chapter 8, just over a few pages actually. Matthew chapter 8. There's a few of these instances that uh, are recorded in the Scripture, but I'll just read one. Verse 2. It says, And behold, there came a leper, that's an unclean person, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst Make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. All right. Now under the law, if Jesus was a priest and touched the unclean, Jesus becomes unclean. But now under grace or the life of the Holy Spirit in flesh, now Jesus touches him and says, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Amen. And Jesus said unto them, unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. I just have to start way back in the beginning if you just give me your patience this evening. Now, we know that in the beginning, if we go to John 1, in the beginning was the Word. 
The Word was with God. The Word was God. Brother Branham explains Elohim as being the self-existing one. That God, this God that dwelled alone with His thoughts. And these thoughts that God had were real, but they were not yet materialized. All right? And, and so I'm not going into all these things. I've, I've ministered on them before, but I just bring them to your remembrance. Then we find in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. All right. So God made a creation now. There was no time yet, as Brother Tom has been ministering on time. There was no time yet, but there was now space. There was dimensions. There was, there was a universe come into existence. There was a heaven. Uh, I, do, I don't know if hell was created right at the beginning, but we know that hell was created. And, and hell is not eternal. And so, uh, so these are places that God created. And God created them for a purpose because in these places He was going to fellowship. He was going, he needed a place to fellowship where his thoughts could materialize and then he could fellowship with his thoughts. Because he was desiring fellowship with these thoughts that he had that were, the thoughts remember were eternal, but he was unable to fellowship with them in that form. And we were in him, uh, then. Uh, and he made this realm, and I'll just say, as Brother Branham said, God's like a carpenter. He made, he laid out the earth, and he laid out the calcium, he laid out the ma- materials that were necessary for the things that he was going to construct. And one of the things that he was going to construct is this body. Another thing was your body, and, and and so God was making our bodies, and that's why Brother Branham says our bodies were here before we came to them. They weren't in this form until they came through the channel of our earthly father and our earthly mother, which, of course, that's the only thing that we gain from our earthly parents is our earthly body. Our soul, our spirit come from God. So in reality, we're sons and daughters of God more than we are sons and daughters of our earthly parents. As Brother Branham said, one day I realized I'm not the son of Charles and Ella Branham. And, and so he, he recognized that there's an eternal aspect to his life that as in the natural we were in the loins of our earthly father, eternally we were in the loins of our heavenly father, not yet expressed, but in our season we come forth to manifest that which God had in his mind. See, these are all basic, these are all elementary things, but just laying this down in maybe a methodical way as I'm likened to be preaching from time to time. And so... Our body, which was here before we came to it, and God, uh, God made this realm. He made the earth, and in Genesis 1, He, He laid out the creation. And then when He come to, uh, we could come to verse 26, and He says, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. All right. Now, God made man. He made a son and he made a daughter. Is that right? Now, as he made a son, we have to realize, as Brother Branham says about the Lord Jesus, there is no eternal sonship. 
He says, the Catholic people say eternal sonship. He says, where do you get such a word? It doesn't make sense to me. How can you be eternal and be a son? A son's something that's begotten of. How can it be eternal? Eternal never did begin. It never does end. So how could it be eternal? And this is the great paradox of eternity because we're eternal creatures. We're the thought that came from God. The thought is eternal. The seed is eternal. It's as Brother Brown says in the church age book, the seed is what's predestinated. But yet in all of that, if we call ourselves a son, then we can't say we are an eternal son because eternal sonship doesn't make sense, Brother Brown said. Jesus wasn't an eternal son and neither could we put ourselves in that kind of a description. And so Brother Brown says it's, it's these denominations uh, that scruple things up. I don't know. What, if these denominations rather hasn't scrupled things up, I don't know what has. No wonder people can't have faith. They don't know what to have faith in. Alright, so, so then we recognize these beings, Adam and Eve coming into the Garden of Eden are eternal beings. Amen? They are eternal, I was gonna say eternal son. He's an eternal son, but there I go using that expression. They are eternal beings because they have eternal life. Because they came from the thoughts of God. And now God is declaring his thoughts in the beginning of creation. Because he has a desire as Jehovah to have a family. And he wants to express himself in fellowship with a family. And for that reason he created these spaces even before there was time. Okay, And I'll leave that up to Brother Tom. I'm not going into time here. But I'm just laying this foundation down. Because he brought them to a place that he, he called a garden. And in that Garden of Eden was a place of a perfect atmosphere. All right, and this is where we want to get to tonight. And so he, he brings his creation together into the fullness or the, the you could say, the, the, the perfection of it. And so far, everything is holy. Everything is perfect. Everything is lovely. Everything is just right, just exactly the way God wanted it to be. And I was thinking about Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden and how that there's just two of them. A son, his wife, and there they were in the garden. It wasn't a congregation. We miss one another. We miss fellowship. But there was a man and his wife in fellowship with God. And the two of them had their position. And they walked in fellowship with God. And God came down in the cool of the evening and had fellowship with them. So what was the most important thing is that they individually had fellowship with God. What's the most important thing for us is that we individually have fellowship with God. The scripture says in these last days we need to gather together and we're claiming that. We're believing that God's going to override all of these nonsensical regulations of the, that they placed on religious gatherings, especially here in Canada and in other places of the world. We don't care what they think. We care what God thinks. And if God said gather together, then I say amen to that. And that's exactly what we want to do. And we believe that God is turning the tide. Do you believe that? Sometimes you might not see it, but I believe it. I just believe it anyway. And so there they were in the Garden of Eden. And, and in Genesis 2, it says, God planted the garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. And then 
Out of the ground, he made every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight. Also, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we know in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, in the message, Wisdom versus Faith, I want to pick it up here of this thought of atmosphere. Brother Branham says, where knowledge is preached from a seminary, the children die. Where faith is preached from the Word, the children live. Alright? Now, it doesn't matter whether I'm talking about a seminary or the true preaching of the Word. They're both taking this Bible. But the difference is the approach to the Word of God. Alright? And he says now... That's the difference, he says, just life and death. He says the same thing happened in the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what happened to them, two atmospheres there. When Eve got off the right one, on the wrong one, she died. All right? Life and death. He says, see, it'll do it every time. So they cannot stay. And then he says, if your church has got that kind of an atmosphere. He's talking about knowledge, not faith in the Word. He says, oh child, if you want to live, you believe the Word. Amen. Brother Branham, in the, in the message Satan's Eden in 1965, he talks about the Garden of Eden. He says, I heard Brother Neville say this morning, someone might have been asking him, Why didn't I preach on the Holy Ghost? Why didn't I do this? Here it is. This is what he says. The Holy Ghost is the action in you. It's a life, not an emotion. Not some sort of fleshly evidence. But it is a person, Jesus Christ, the Word of God established in your heart To quicken every word of this age. I think I should read that again. He says, it is a person, Jesus Christ, the word of God, established in your heart to quicken every word of this age. He says, watch the Holy Spirit in action. Then he says, not so much in demonstration, but in action. What it does according to the Word of God. Lots of people can have demonstrations that they claim is the Holy Spirit. But he's saying the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ in you, will quicken the Word of your age, of this age, and bring it to life in the individual. All right. So he says the Holy Spirit of God's Holy Word had a man and a woman naked. Now he goes right to the Garden of Eden. I haven't, I haven't skipped anything. This is exactly in the order of what he's saying here. He says, The Holy Spirit of God's Holy Word had a man and woman naked and didn't know it. How beautiful life of the Word, the seed, the Word. He says, They were wholly veiled. They were safe in God's pavilion. They were alive. They had no death around them. Amen. 
Now, I want you to catch that now, life and death. Because Brother Branham said in the previous quote, Wisdom versus Faith, he says, as soon as she left one way of looking at the Word and took the Word from another way through Satan's understanding, she left life and died. All right? But here they were in the Garden of Eden, naked and not knowing it. In other words, they were veiled with a holy veil. That What they had was so perfect, they didn't even know nakedness. As, as they were there in the Garden of Eden, he says, they were alive. They had no death around them. They had perfect love one for the other. Perfect life forever. They had perfect love, perfect understanding of the love of God. They had God's word and kept it. They were alive and safe in God's Eden with no death at all around. Hallelujah. And we are going back there. Amen. That's our destiny. That's our promise. That's our inheritance. That's our rights. Though Adam lost them and, and, and humanity has been battling against that for seven or six thousand years now, but yet God promised, I will restore. He promised that there's an inheritance reserved in heaven for us waiting until these days, but the last days have arrived and the inheritance is brought back to the church of the living God. All right. So now I want you to notice something here. When that atmosphere was broken, it made a place for a law. I want you to think about that. Because when they were in a perfect condition, a perfect atmosphere where there was perfect love and perfect faith, there was no place for a law. Amen? There was no place for thou shalt, thou shalt not. It was all perfection. It was just God's life fully on display. But now because of the fall, you, you, uh, you created a place where the atmosphere was broken. But in that place, before it was broken, when it was perfect, you can't have a law there because it's eternal life manifested in this dimension. Now Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. And he, and he, I won't read all the scriptures, but he says, the sting of death, Eve died. The sting of death, Adam died. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. And so it only when sin came in could you have a law. Because the strength of sin is a law. Because I'll say it this way, the law, as Paul said, the law is perfect. You can't complain about the law. But law never set anybody free. So I'll say it to you this way. The law is an imperfect expression of God's love. I'll let that one just digest in your minds for a little bit. Because you never maybe heard it that way before. But as I was pondering this, I began to realize the law came from God. But it wasn't the complete expression. When Jesus was presented with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They said, the law said, but here was God's love manifested in its fullness. And as he was standing there and they said, the law said, this woman should be stoned. That was the only expression they knew concerning God's word. 
This woman deserved to be stoned. But Jesus said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And so he was declaring something greater than they had previously understood because he was the perfect expression of the love of God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had a perfect expression, but because of Satan through the serpent trying to get Eve to look at it in a different way, you'll notice how Satan, how shrewd he is. He comes to Eve and he says, you'll be like gods. Now, of course, they already were amateur gods. They already were creators, amateur creators. They were already put in charge to subdue and have dominion and all of those things on the earth. That was already their position. But that really wasn't what Lucifer was talking about because in Lucifer's heart there was pride. In Lucifer's heart there was a desire to exalt himself above the sons of God. He wanted to be like God. But not in the way that uh, that his offspring are, but rather in another way, that, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, being worshipped as God. And so the meaning that Lucifer had, that he was expressing through the serpent, was entirely different than the meaning that we understand, as we are sons and daughters of God, meant to be amateur creators on the face of the earth. Amen. And so we, we recognize that Eve was deceived by the tree of knowledge. And there she took her fall. And there death entered in. Lucifer had an idea that he called enlightenment. But it was actually darkness. And produced death upon the earth. Eve was deceived. She, she was not willfully sinning. She did not uh, understand she was wrong. She thought she was right. She was deceived. And because she was deceived, she gave to her husband. But he was not deceived, the scripture says. And he, seeing exactly what it was, now had a choice. I could hold on to perfection. I could hold on to this atmosphere. Or I could hang on to Eve. And redeem her back. And in weighing that choice. Love prevailed. And he took Eve. To be his wife. Alright. Now. We know that God provided a way for fellowship. Provided a way for mankind. Under the blood of animals. When God came down and found them in a sinful condition. He provided a sacrifice. That sacrifice was what he clothed them with, bleeding lambskins as they exited out from the Garden of Eden. And uh, there they uh, were under that uh, blood of animals where there was fellowship but not restoration. And under the blood of animals, the power of sanctification is very limited. It did not have conquering power. But rather uh, something that is sanctified under the blood of whether it be a lamb or a bullock or a, a goat or a turtle dove. When something was sanctified, even by the waters of separation on the ashes of a red heifer, if that thing that was sanctified came in contact with an unclean thing, 
the unclean thing had greater power than the sanctification of the law. I want you to see that here. No matter how perfectly sanctified they were, Haggai describing it there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, it doesn't matter. He says, if you, if you take something that is sanctified, purified as holy, and you touch something that is neutral, it doesn't make that holy. But furthermore, if you take something that is sanctified or, or something that is neutral and you touch it with an unclean thing, then it makes it all unclean. And so the, the prevalence of that which is unclean, that prevalence of that, that which was, uh, which was, uh, limited in its scope amongst the people created a very, uh, defined set uh, of laws pertaining to sanctification, and I'll say it this way, to, uh, pertaining to the approach unto God. All right. This is actually a very simple subject, so excuse me if I'm, I'm making it seem more difficult than it is. Let's jump to the New Testament. One day, Peter, being filled with the Holy Ghost, being the man that had the keys of the kingdom, you know, God bless Sister Dorcas, because she lived such a wonderful life that the saints said, we can't live without her. And uh, so they went and got Peter and he came over and they prayed and God raised her from the dead. And so that was the reason that Peter was in Joppa to begin with was because they went and got him to come and pray for Sister Dorcas who had died. And so there he was there and the morning had come. It was six o'clock. No, I'm sorry. It was 12 noon. It was a six hour of the day. And uh, and so he was there. in the house and he got hungry and while they were making him some food he thought I'll just go up on the rooftop and I'll just sit down and think about things and you know uh, maybe I'll pray a little bit and and so he's up there on the rooftop and the Bible says he falls into a trance I think it's in Acts chapter 10 if you want to read it later but he's up there on the rooftop and he falls into the Bible calls it a trance or we might say a vision and uh, he sees descending from heaven a sheet and 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 on this sheet is all kinds of unclean animals and and beasts and all kinds of things and the command comes from God Peter rise kill and eat kill take your choice whatever you want they're all unclean and and Peter's commanded now just go and 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 slay this thing whatever you want and have some food cuz you're hungry he's in a vision now and uh, and he was shocked and he he protested saying Lord, I've never touched any unclean thing. There's no unclean thing that has ever entered this body. But God was beginning to show him the power of the new covenant. The power of the Holy Ghost that he was filled in, filled with is not the same as the Old Testament. It's no longer of you being clean by the Holy Spirit, touch an unclean thing, that you become unclean. Rather, you are the one that influences the unclean thing. Alright, so the vision was an expression of the life that had been put into him by the power of the Holy Spirit, the new birth in his life. No longer did unclean things have power over him. Now he had power over the unclean. Can you say amen to that? And we got to realize that as believers, that by the Holy Ghost within us, we don't need to be scared of anything. They don't have power over us. We have 
power by the Holy Spirit over any unclean thing. A lot of times the devil will come around, especially with young and experienced believers and make you scared of this or make you scared of that. You don't have to be scared of nothing. You know that the power within you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. No matter what the devil throws at you by the new birth, you have more going for you than anything the world can throw at you. And I hope we could all say amen to that tonight. So then Peter, recognizing this, that, that, that it was a different, it was a new revelation to him because God was going to show him that, that, and God didn't really explain it to him. He says, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. And he says, there's two men waiting for you now, go with them. Because what was happening is God was sending the Holy Spirit by Peter to the Gentiles. Oh, this is wonderful. And as I say it's wonderful because we're all Gentiles. Praise the Lord. We We all beneficiaries of this experience in the book of Acts. We all are rejoicing at what God did there because we're recipients of it. And so now Peter goes to Cornelius's house, and I'm, of course, I'm just paraphrasing this to save time. And as Peter began now to preach to them the Holy Spirit, preach to them the anointed word, the, the Bible says, while they heard the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Showing now that it was the word that was sanctifying them. It was the anointed word of the hour that was cleansing them. It was they were filled with not a spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only takes up residence in holy vessels. Can we say amen to that? There has to be a cleansing. And so we realize now it wasn't their repentance. And God was making a point here. It's not your repentance. Neither is it your baptism that cleanses you. But it's the anointed word being received in the heart by faith that cleanses the believer and makes them a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. The washing of the water of the word. Amen. Not the washing of the waters of baptism. That wasn't what cleansed them. Not the washing of their repentance. It was the washing of the water of the word. It was the waters of separation that came for them. And so is it true to every believer today? You know, the washing of the water of the anointed word. Now, my subject today is actually sustaining the atmosphere. Because this create, Brother Bram says, what we are creators of is an atmosphere. And God has given us all of the tools and all of the authority necessary to create an atmosphere. Now, Jesus, when he, when he walked on the earth in that vessel of flesh, you know, the, he talked about what's clean and what's unclean. Matthew chapter 15. And uh, you can follow along on the screen if the brothers would put it on the screen. Matthew 15 and verse 10. I don't know who exactly controls that. But he said, he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. 
Then came his disciples unto him and said, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So now he's talking about what makes a person defiled. And he says, it's, it's not what you touch. It's not if you eat with unwashed hands. And, and Paul will go into it further in Corinthians. It's not whether the meat had been offered to idols or not. That's not what makes a person defiled. But what defiles a person is what's already inside them that comes out of their mouth. In other words, if they're not a changed individual, if they're not born again, they are defiled to begin with. But if they are born again, they are undefiled. Amen. They are clean. So it says here, he says, uh, verse 13. He answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted should be rooted up. He's talking about the Pharisees. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do you not understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which passes out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Now, who was it that asked him this? It was Peter. It was Peter said, describe to us this parable. Well, Peter still didn't understand it over in Acts chapter 10 as he's on the rooftop. Uh, and it's described to him in the vision is that these things which are unclean in his Jewish understanding, teaching, and, and mind, he thought, you know, unclean things are thing which, things which are exterior. And God's saying, no, that which I have put in you will change the unclean thing. Now, remember, I'm talking about atmosphere. That which I put in you will change the unclean thing. And God put in the sons and daughters of God, the Holy Spirit, to change the unclean things. All right. I'll just go a little bit further in the word here. First Corinthians chapter six. Brothers, if you have that on the screen, then verse nine, Paul says it this way. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Let me just stop there. Now, now what is Paul saying here? He's saying there's all kinds of things that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus is not saying, and Paul is not saying, it doesn't matter what you do. Well, rather, what he's saying is, if you're doing these things, you're not in line to inherit the kingdom of God. This is not the manifestation of a son of God. This is not the manifestation of a daughter of God. He goes on, he says, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What is the next statement? And such were some of you. So some of you were fornicators. Some of you were idolaters. 
Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were effeminate. Some of you were abusers of yourselves with mankind. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were covetous. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were revilers. Some of you were extortioners. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't say that you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But he's saying they which remain in such condition will not inherit the kingdom of God. For he goes on, he says, and such were some of you, but you are washed. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the washing of the water of the word? But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm so glad for a message that teaches us what justification really is. Justification, which is as though you never did it in the first place. Oh, but brother Tim, I was, I was an adulterer, or I was a fornicator, or I was effeminate, or I was abuser myself with mankind, or I was a thief, or I was this, or I was that. That doesn't make no difference. When the word washes you, you are justified in the sight of God. God looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You never did it in the first place. Hallelujah. We're so glad for the truth of the word of God. Amen. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And then he says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Amen. By grace, there is no law. All things are lawful, he says, but I will not allow that to have power over me because I have power over it. Amen. Rather, as he describes in Romans, he says, I know that when I would do good, evil's present with me. I know that the things I would, I do not. And the things I would not, that I do. He's talking about the flesh. He, he says, who shall deliver me from the bondage of this flesh? But I thank God through Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation to those who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Something has been put in me to bring this body under subjection. Because this this body is contrary to the atmosphere that God wants me to create. I was meant to create an atmosphere like they had in the Garden of Eden. Can you say amen to that? Is that your position in the body of Jesus Christ? I was made to create that atmosphere. I was made to walk in perfect love. I was made to walk in perfect faith. I was designed to manifest the Word of God in my day. But though I have a veil of this flesh that will constantly try and make me do things I don't want to do or not do things that I want to do. I thank God that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I thank God that if the same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwell in me, it shall bring this mortal body subject to the word of God. Amen. It's not me living perfect. It's the perfection of life within me living itself out through me. Amen. It's God's perfection that he put in me. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes a little bit further. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth or well-being. Now, what is he saying here? 
He's saying, listen, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. God is building up a kingdom. Everything doesn't build up a kingdom. Only those things that are according to His Word build up the kingdom of God. But I'm not bound by a law that says if, if I fall short today or if I fall short tomorrow, that's it, I'm done, I'm under the law. We're not under the law. But when the life of Christ is in us, it quickly convicts us of the mistakes that the flesh wants us to make. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit? I'm talking to believers tonight. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit that says you shouldn't have said it that way? You shouldn't have done that there. You shouldn't have behaved like that. You shouldn't have talked to that person like that. You shouldn't have talked to your husband. You shouldn't have talked to your wife. You know, did you really need to correct your children like that? Did you really, you know, uh, there's, these are all things that God does within us, knowing that we make mistakes, but it's the guide, the Holy Spirit within us, leading us all along the way. So Paul testifying here, he says, there is a power within me to build up. And there's a, and that's what I want to get to tonight. And so maybe spend these last little bit of time on that. If you're a believer, born again by the Holy Spirit of God, there is power within you to build somebody up. Not to tear down, but to build up. Even the even Paul describing his own gift, he says, I will not use my gift for destruction, but for edification. What the, the reason that we minister the word to the body is to build them up. I have to confess there's times that the sinner needs to be torn down. But the, the believer, the word within the ministry, the word within your life is to build up there's a purpose in what god put in us because we are creators handling the creative power of god by the holy spirit or i'll say the token life all right we'll just press forward a little bit here i want to read a little bit out of the token message because I know Brother Murphy's been preaching on it. I was real concerned where he was going on Sunday. And I even had to go back and listen to part of it because uh, I had to leave the room with one of the children while our youngest daughter was fussing. And so uh, I wanted my wife to be able to listen to the service. So I kind of went to another room and I couldn't hear the service. So I was trying to put the daughter down to bed and, and just trying to make myself sound good, aren't I? And... Uh, <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, we try to do our part once in a while. And uh, uh, don't take it all that Brother Tim's a, by any means a perfect father or a perfect husband. i got a long ways to go. But nevertheless, uh, there was about 15 minutes that I missed. And I thought, wow, he was getting close to where I was maybe going to go tonight. So I better go back and listen to that. So, But I did listen to it, so I think I'm safe tonight. I'm not repeating anything that you already heard, though it certainly is in the in continuity with the wonderful services that we heard on Sunday. So Brother Branham says in the token, in the token message, he, he, he's talking about believing, and these are probably familiar quotes to most of us, but he says, you want your own safety, you believe for your safety, 
and then apply the token for your whole family. Now, what is the token? We've, you've heard Brother Murphy preach on it. The token is the life of Christ on display. All right? So you apply it. Now, watch how Brother Branham describes applying it here. You say, how can I do that? He says, claim it. If it worked on you, then you and the Word becomes one. See, it works for both of you. You and the Word are one. Then apply it to your children. Apply it to your loved ones like Rahab did. She applied the token to her father. She applied it to her mother. She applied it to her brothers and sisters and got them all in. All right. So now, now I want you to notice this now. Uh, These are whole sermons in themselves, each one of the paragraphs. And he, he says, she got them all in. You apply it. Say, Lord, I'm going after my son. I'm going after my daughter. I claim her. Satan, you turn her loose. I'm coming after her. I apply my token. The Holy Spirit. Oh, the whole, oh, Holy Spirit that lives within me. Catch my daughter there. I'm going to her now with your anointing upon me. And then he says, he will do it. All right. Now I just want to say one thing. He didn't say repeat these words. All right. He didn't say, take these words and repeat them. He said, take the meaning of these words and live them. All right? So you take the life that is within you, and you, under that anointing, you're going after your loved ones. That's what he calls applying the token. He goes further. He says, that's what they did in Egypt. That's what they did in Jericho. If you want to read another one, Acts 16, Paul told the centurion, believe I'm the messenger of the hour. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou and thy house shall be saved. Believe for your house. Bring them all under it. And I love that statement. Bring them all under it. All right. A lot of our loved ones are a long ways away. All right. But he's saying bring them all under it. He says now you've seen the God of heaven perform a miracle just before judgment. You believed it. And then he says yes what, I, what can I do? He says rise and be baptized. All right, so he goes to the individual now and their experience. He says, Paul took him out and baptized him. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou and thy house shall be saved. All right, I'm going to skip a little bit here. No, I better not. All right. He says, all right, now this is what I wanted to get to. Because I'm talking about sustaining the atmosphere. You receive the Holy Spirit. You're given an atmosphere don't let that atmosphere dissipate. All right? And it's not always easy in this day because there are things that are fighting against. The devil knows if he can get that atmosphere away, then he has authority. But under that atmosphere, he has no authority. He has, it's, it's the same as Brother Branham in the atmosphere again in Portland, Oregon, where that, that giant of a man tried to hit him and couldn't hit him because there was an atmosphere there that Brother Branham stayed in the atmosphere. And you'll notice how the devil tried to break the atmosphere. He tried to call Brother Branham a liar. He says, You're, you preachers are a bunch of liars. And he tried to call him all kinds of names. He even spit in his face. And the Holy Spirit let him spit in his face. What, he's, what the devil's trying to do is not trying to hurt him by words or spit. He's trying to break that atmosphere of divine love that a prophet was staying in the atmosphere of. And in that atmosphere, the devil's powerless. And that's why that lunatic could not hit him in that atmosphere. And so the devil's always trying to break the atmosphere. So here's Brother Brown saying, apply the token to your house. Then what you do when you, 
What do you do when you apply it to your house? Move all the trash out. Get all the short skirts out. The shorts, the cards, the cigarettes, televisions, whatever more, kick them out the door. But brother, brother Tim, you just said all things are lawful. But I'm telling you, you're made to be an amateur creator and there are things that the devil will try and add to your life that maybe are lawful, but they do not edify. They are not expedient. There are things that, that you, the devil wants you to do or the, the enemy wants to encumber your life with so that he still has an out from the atmosphere. But when a son or daughter of God is walking according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then Brother Brown says you get all that out. He says you're going to apply the token. You won't stand still for it. Take it all out. All the dances, the parties, the rock and roll, the vulgar newspapers, and the stuff that's of the world. Praise the Lord. I'm glad he said that. Because then it wasn't just this and this and this and that. Like the rich young ruler. I've done these specific commandments from my youth. No, he says, and all the things of the world. Get them out of your house. You got, because God has called you to edify. God has called you to build up. God has called you to take this power of the Holy Ghost and bring other people under that atmosphere. It's not worth it. And I just had it in my notes. Don't be tempted to break the atmosphere. I was talking to a woman a while ago and not from here. She was from another place and and she had a broken home and the children and the father was an unbeliever. And she said, what should I do? Should I allow movies? I said, don't do it. I said, don't bring movies into your home. Don't bring those worldly things into your home. If they do them at dad's place, I says, don't you do it in your life. You keep the atmosphere so that when they come into your home, they know there's something different about it. Amen. Because the temptation of this world is just compromise a little here. Just compromise a little there. It's the devil that wants you to compromise, not God that wants you to compromise. I hope that's okay tonight. Everybody's with me tonight. All right. He says, he says, clean up, let your children, your family, let your loved ones see it. He says, that's right. Then apply the token in prayer with consideration, with believe it, apply it with such love and so forth. You know it's going to take place. Apply it in confidence, believing it's going to help. When you talk to that child, when you talk to your husband, when you talk to your wife, talk to this loved one, believe that it's going to help. And stand there and say, Lord, I've claimed them. He's not talking about saying it out loud. He's like when he's in the kitchen with his wife. He's praying to himself. Lord, help me. To, I'm, the, I'm the one that's in authority over this home. Help me to change the atmosphere. The wife was crying. The children were crying. And he was... And as he was changing the atmosphere, he wasn't doing it by, by fasting and praying. He wasn't doing it by uh, being super spiritual and trying to th- explain everything spiritual. He started to change the atmosphere in his own kitchen that had been broken by the enemy by believing the word of God, applying the token to his family, and talking about natural things. As he began to bring, all of a sudden that atmosphere began to change. Even the little children began to change from fighting to playing with one another. Amen. hope that's, well, I know it's okay. I don't hope it's okay. I believe it's okay. He says, 
change that atmosphere. They'll drop into it. If you've got the token, you create a spirit around you of power. And when you walk, people know you're a Christian. They love for you to say something. They believe your word. What you say, they hold on to. Don't try, and I'll say it this way, don't try and control everything. Control the atmosphere. Sometimes we try to control by the law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't try and control everything. Control the atmosphere. If you can maintain that holy atmosphere, the devil is powerless. And that will change the lives of the people. Don't let, you know, Jesus said it's what comes out of a person's mouth that defiles them. Or I'll say it this way. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles the atmosphere. Don't say negative things about people. Amen. Or ouch, whichever you prefer. You know, we, are, we all have little things in life that are uh, prickly, that, are, that hurt us in our natures. Even sometimes things that, that, that people don't intend to hurt us and they don't realize they're hurting us. You know, Brother John was, was, was preaching about uh, Hannah on the weekend and it blessed me. Now I got to thinking about Hannah and Penina. Penina, is that the name? Uh, the, the two women that was Elkanah's wives. In the, in the book of First Samuel chapter 1. And I was reading on it uh, the, today a little bit. And, and you know, I'll just say it this way. I don't know if Penina really realized she was provoking Hannah. Maybe she didn't realize it. That, you know, God had blessed her with, with her children and, and all of that. And, and maybe she thought that she was just being helpful to Hannah. And, but in trying to be helpful to Hannah, she was actually... Uh, without realizing it, provoking her. It, it felt, it didn't feel good to Hannah. It felt like a dagger. You know, maybe Panana tell her, you know, look, you, 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 I understand what it takes to have children. Why don't you, why don't you just listen to what I say? Maybe you need to pray more. Maybe you need to do this more. Maybe you need to do that more. Maybe you don't really understand what love is all about and you don't understand this and you don't understand that. And she's just trying to help. But not realizing that Hannah in her heart was grieved. It wasn't that she was happy that she didn't have a child. It wasn't that she was happy that it, that it hadn't manifested. That life had not happened the way that she thought it would happen. She wasn't thrilled about it. She was a matter of fact seeking God with all of her heart. But Penina was just you know. Oh you know it's easy. You just have children and you just do it right. And you just the promises are in the word. And this happens and that happens. And you know everything's just wonderful. And, and all the while, Hannah is just dying within herself. But not realizing that God, and I said that to say this, God had allowed Penina into her life to provoke her to a certain place. Because what God was going to do in Hannah's life was greater than just the average mother. All right? Because there was going to be a special son come from her womb as a firstborn and that son was going to be a prophet for Israel and that, that son was going to put everything in order and be called one of the great prophets in the land of Israel. And so there was, but Hannah didn't know that. Hannah didn't know why her life was rife, was rough. 
She didn't know why she was going through. She didn't know why it seemed like Penina was always harping on Hannah, not having children, not having children. She didn't know. She, she, she just felt like every time it was said, it was like a dagger to her. Uh, but God was doing something that was special. It wasn't about the sanctification. And I, and I say it this way. It wasn't about Hannah, you need to live a better life. It was that God was building up his kingdom. God was bringing something into the kingdom and it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good for Hannah. And sometimes these things that happen in our lives, even from people that love us. And I have to believe that, that Penina didn't hate Hannah. But, uh, but even sometimes people that love us, that, that are just trying to help us. But yet they're saying things that they don't realize. And this might happen to you that, that is crushing you. And, and that you're feeling the burden of it because of the way they're saying it. And, and you're thinking that they must be thinking this of me or they must be thinking that of me or, or, or all of that. But yet in the midst of all, I'm, I'm coming to a point here with Hannah. In the midst of all of that, she had to rise above the bitterness of it all. And I'll go further now. She had to maintain the atmosphere of her relationship with her husband. All right. This was important. She could have given up. She could have said, well, what's the use? All these years, all that I prayed, I've sought God. Everybody thinks evil of me. Everybody thinks I'm not a believer. Everybody, you know, the priest thinks I'm drunk and all of these things and all of these things happen. Well, well, what's the use? I might as well just, just give up on everything. But no, she maintained her position of love with her husband. Because the Bible says after she went to the temple and the priest, of course, misunderstood her, which that had to happen and all of that. And that and then he says, well, then the Lord give you your request. You know, even though the priest wasn't exactly living the best life, God used the office to bless Hannah. And there she goes home. And the next thing the scripture says, if you can read it later, First Samuel chapter one, the next thing the scripture says, and Elkanah knew Hannah. What if she'd have given up on the atmosphere? She said, you know what? I think I'll just, we'll just get separate bedrooms. It's not working. It's just a grief to me. I'll just, I'll just live out my life, you know, and just kind of whatever. But she didn't give up on the atmosphere. She stayed in love with Elkanah. And staying in love with Elkanah produced the promise. Hallelujah. And not, so is it with believers. You know, you might go through things. You might, you might have a friend that's prickly. You might have, there might be somebody in the church that's, that's got just the right nature to provoke you in the wrong way. It happens. Cause we're human beings, right? But you stay in love with God. Because as you stay in love with God and you maintain that atmosphere, that will bring to pass all the promises of God's word in your life. Hallelujah. The musicians can come. There was a woman that Brother Brown talked about, a real godly saint, but her husband was a drunk. Talk about applying the token. You know, here was uh, her husband that was at the bar with the, his buddies, and they're all talking as men talk that have had a few drinks, and he says, they're all saying, ah, there's no such thing as Christianity. There's no such thing as a Christian. And he said, well, actually there is. And they looked at him like, 
he had two heads or something and said, you know, what are you talking about? And, and he said, well, actually, my wife's a real Christian and I'll prove it to you. He said, let's go over to my house and uh, let's, let's pretend we're real drunk. He says, and I'll, I'll prove to you that she's a Christian. And uh, they, of course, go home and uh, there's, he says, dear, make, make us something to eat. And, you know, he's acting drunk and just give us something to eat. You know, we just want some, you know, he's probably slurring his words and whatever. And I don't even know how to act drunk because I've never been drunk. Sorry. And uh, <laughs> so I don't even know how to act it. But uh, so there he was uh, in the in the room and she brings some eggs and stuff. And he looks at him and says, this is not the way I like my eggs. And he takes them and throws them on the ground, sisters. Now, what you going to do? Yeah, now, in the flesh, she probably, I don't know if she did anymore, but she maybe felt like, I am going to take this plate and I am going to smack him upside his head and I'm going to teach him. Uh, but she didn't. She maintained the atmosphere. And she went, oh, I'm sorry, dear. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll go you know, and, and fix you some eggs the way you like them, and, and I'll go, and, and she's, he, they could hear her. Uh, you know, I, I believe that this was a real story. I look forward to meeting this woman. They could hear her in the kitchen saying, must Jesus, singing, must Jesus bear the cross alone, and all the world go free. There's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. And she's cleaning up the dishes and she's making some new eggs and she's kind of, she, it's not easy. Brother Ram says she was snubbing. She was kind of crying. She was a little bit sobbing. You know, this is my life. It's not very easy. But God had a purpose. God had a purpose. In that, that night, those men gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what. If you asked her later, was it worth it? She'd say it was worth it all. It's worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all. I think they sang that song. I don't think we can sing it. I don't know it that well, but... You know, uh, it'll be worth it all, they say. You know, Brother Murphy sent me a letter today from one of the brothers behind bars. He had translated it into English. And I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to read this, but I thought this one paragraph was so lovely. He said, it's such a beautiful thing to serve God. But when we talk about serve, the first impression is we, we had is to preach and things that are related with preaching. But as a matter of fact, serve is not we try to do something for God or suffer for Him or pay tithes and offerings or good deeds, etc. But to accept the Lord's will according to the desire and the purpose of the one that is being served. He's writing this from the prison. Do what the Lord wants to be done. That's why the scripture said, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. Burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. 
Then said I, Lord, I come to do Thy will, O God. And maybe we could sing that song. I want to do Thy will, O God. Take me, break me, mold me and make me. If you want, you could stand. As we sing this together, let's make it a personal prayer. We've been called to this age to manifest God's Word. You've been called for this hour. Not, not, to, not just so God can support you in your life. He does that. Not just so God can deliver you from sin. He does that. Not just so God can show how great He is. He does that. But you've been called for this hour to believe every word. And to take this as your own and say, I desire to do nothing else but the will of God in my life. I don't care where this world goes. I want to do God's will. I don't care what happens. I don't care what the governments have in mind. I don't care what the devil has in mind. I don't care what's going to happen in the days to come. It really doesn't matter to me because I have one purpose in my life. And that's to do the will of the Father. That's to do the will of God. Jesus said that. That's my meat is to do the will of the Father. That's the reason of my existence is to do God's will. And whatever God has for you individually, and it is an individual walk. However God deals with you, however God leads you. That's all he wants in response. Lord, I want to do your will. Let's sing that together as our prayer. I want to do thy will, O Lord. I want to do thy will. cast all my cares upon you I cast all my cares 
together wherever you are you hold your heart before God the devil's tactics are not secrets anymore they've been exposed in this hour by the fully revealed word the devil will try and get you to compromise try and get you to hold back or refrain from what the word is urging you to do to commit. Brother Branham talked about a young woman that he was, he went out on a uh, on a, an evening with and she said, well, you want to go to a dance? There's a dance. You want to do this? There's this. And he says, no, I don't do any. I don't dance. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do those things. She's like, well, what do you do? And a few days later, they were he was in a service and she was there in a tent meeting and the people were at the altar giving their hearts to God. She was there and she was weeping. And he said, he called her up and he says, I can't remember what her name was. He says, this is my joy. This is what I rejoice in. These are the things that I love to do. And she, she says, I want what you got. And there she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. She got rid of her jewelry, got rid of her makeup, till even her brother was angry with Brother Branham. Said, you turned my sister into an old-fashioned something. And she says, no, I got saved and I got joy. And sometimes the devil will try and say, don't give this up or don't give that up because it's, it's something that you like. I'll tell you something, there's a greater joy in surrendering everything to God. To casting all of your burdens down at His feet. To laying everything before Him and saying, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want. I did it at 22 years old. Never looked back. I I wrestled with God all of my life. I wasn't that I didn't know there was a God. It wasn't that I didn't have experiences with God even before I came to the message. But when the power of the revealed word came by my way and showed me who I was, I just said, Lord, it's all yours. And I've never looked back. And you won't regret it either. If that's your desire tonight. 
And maybe as a believer, you're here tonight, says, I got burdens. I just encourage you, lay them at his feet. Commit them to God. Trust him. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never leave a promise unfulfilled. He's that kind of a God. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this evening at the end of another service, my prayer, Lord, my desire is that something said tonight would have been from you, and I believe much of it was, if not all of it, and that, Lord, it would take someone's life and build them up in the stature of Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh Father, that there be somebody that's wrestling with the devil. And they don't not know it as devil. They think it's themselves. They think it's their own ideas. They think it's their own unbelief. But Lord, it's not. It's the devil. And the devil is exposed by the word. And he's trying to get them like Eve to compromise on the word of God. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. That you will take the light of your word and shine it so bright in that person's inner being until the devil has no fight left in him, oh God. I pray, Lord, you deliver them completely. I pray, Father, you'll give them the victory so completely. And I pray for every son and daughter of God that there'll be no hindrance to the atmosphere of the power of the life within them. Lord, may the light so shine out from lives that even in the midst of an of a unusual government restraint, oh God, that when they go to work or when they go to the supermarket or when they go to talk to family or whatever it might be, Lord, that the power of that atmosphere would just overwhelm unbelievers and cause sinners to repent, cause men and women to come to Jesus Christ, cause salvation to be had. Lord, the devil's trying to shut us down, but we defy being shut down. We say, oh God, let the power of the resurrection go out from every life of every believer, every son, every daughter of God. Let it permeate this society, Lord. Shake the kingdom of Satan to its uttermost, oh Lord, we pray. Bring in every predestinated son and daughter of God, we pray. We give ourselves to you. We claim the working of your word. We claim the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. We cast everything that we are upon your hands. And we give ourselves unreservedly to you. We stand up as sons and daughters of God. Say, we don't care what the world says. We give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We give ourselves unreservedly for the glory of the kingdom of God. Lord, take this service tonight and bless the people with it, I pray. Lord, prepare the ministers for the upcoming services if you would tarry. Anoint them, Lord, with a fresh unction, we pray. We give it all into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Hallelujah. Could we sing that song before we go? God will make a way where there seems to be no way. I think it's F. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. Oh, God.
strength for each new day. He will make a softly if you want to keep that atmosphere going wherever you are God bless you, God's with you He's in you He's the one that creates the atmosphere around about you just surrender to that atmosphere let Him have His way wherever you find yourself don't take, Jesus said don't take any thought don't take any thought for the morrow but don't even worry about what you're going to say He says I'll put words in your mouth I'll bring to your remembrance the things you need to say God will make a way. God bless you. The service is dismissed in Jesus' name.